here with you guys this morning. Like David said, my name is Ernie. Um, I have a lovely lady named Alex. We've been married for a little more than three years. We have a little son named Judson. He had uh, his little bear ears on. I don't know if you saw him. It's kind of embarrassing. I feel bad for him that uh, <laughs> he has to wear stuff like that, but uh, I guess we all did. Maybe some of us, I don't know. Whatever. But, uh, you know, I was really disappointed as I was preparing for my message because I was, I was planning on talking about sex today. And I found out you guys talked about sex last week. And so <clears throat> I decided to go to plan B and, uh, and uh, things like this. So uh, anyways, I, I do want to share, we want to share more of our, our heart, who we are, our story, kind of what we know so far in regards to this process that the Lord's laid on our heart. And we're going to do that with some pizza at one. So you guys are welcome to come um, with us and, and talk about those things. But uh, this morning, I just want to give you a glimpse of, of our heart and give you a glimpse of who we are and what, what really is our ultimate aim. And I say ultimate because there's other things that are important to us, but there's one thing that really governs who we are, and I just want to talk about that this morning. Our brief, a brief synopsis of who we are. Um, I went to Asbury University, graduated from there in 2007 with a Bible theology degree, and I spent the last four years of my life at the International House of Prayer in Atlanta, thinking that I was going to replicate a house of prayer, worship, if you don't know that term, that's okay, but just a, a worship-based church that does a lot of worship and prayer all the time. And so I thought we were going to do that here, and when we were there, the Lord changed gears and gave us a heart for just a local church and having more of a local church model, things like that, and that's why we're involved with the church planning thing. And it's interesting, because if I, if I knew what I know today, I don't know if I would have gone to IHOP. I, I might have gone to seminary or something like that, but the Lord led us otherwise. And uh, while we were there, I, I took a class at a university online called Christology, the study of Jesus. And it was just one of those things, if we took it together now, you might be like, that was okay. And maybe I would say the same. But at that time when I took it, it was like the Lord breathed on it. And it was like the Lord put wet cement on my heart, you know. And it was, it was like the Lord wrote in that wet cement and then it hardened. And, uh, and just the Lord really just imprinted on our hearts in regards to seeing Jesus exalted. There was a couple passages of Scripture. One we're going to talk about today, uh, just the book of Philippians, but more specific, but also uh, Colossians 1 was, is probably the most life-changing passage of Scripture, verses 16 through 18. It says, By Him, Jesus, all things were created, things in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things were created through Him, and for him, it says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn. And then it says, so that he himself will come to have preeminence in everything. And uh, those, that little phrase in particular has just haunted me in a good way. These last several years, I feel like I have not been able to run from it. And therefore, it seems like that's really what the Lord is, is placed in us. It's been crushing to me, but it's also, it's been crushing because it's about him and not about me. And at the same time, it's been liberating because it's not about me. And so that's a good thing. Um, and so this morning, I want to just give you a brief uh, overview of the book of Philippians in just a couple minutes. And then I want to focus in on Philippians 3, 12 through 14. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there to the book of Philippians. I told the first service that I learned this in college at this church. The only thing I remember from this church in college that I went to for about two years was the pastor said one day, he said, um, if you get confused with some of Paul's letters, remember God eats popcorn. God eat, eats popcorn. So everybody say it, God eats popcorn. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It just makes it easy. Instead of having to go to the table of contents, you can just 
shoot right for God eats popcorn and, and you won't be embarrassed or whatever. I don't know. Um, so, uh, Philippians was written by Paul. He was in prison. He was writing to a church plant in Philippi, a Roman colony, and he is encouraging them. Unlike many of most of Paul's letters, many are, include rebukes and other things, but Philippians is, a, is an encouraging letter for these people to run the race and to fix their eyes on Jesus and to be encouraged to continue to run wholeheartedly. And so we get to Philippians 1, and Paul begins, he calls himself a bondservant, and he goes on, and he says, grace and peace. And then right in the middle, he begins to talk about the gospel and how he's been enchained for the gospel, but it's caused others to be strengthened to proclaim Jesus in whatever they're called to do, in doing their deal. And so he's encouraged by them because they're proclaiming Jesus. And he says, you know, some are doing it out of selfish motives and some are doing it out of pure motives. And he says, here's the deal. I don't care if they're preaching out of selfish motives or pure motives. I just want to see him proclaimed. I want to see Jesus made known. And so he says, I rejoice. Yes, again, I rejoice. And we get to verse 20 and he says this of chapter 1. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but with but that with all with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which i shall choose i cannot tell i'm hard pressed from the two my desire is to depart and be with jesus for that is much better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake and so the summary of chapter 1 is jesus is our life jesus is our life when we uh, to live is to live for him. And to die is gain, because in our death, we gain him. I know that David's been talking about 1 Corinthians these last several weeks, and I've been listening to some of those, and uh, I know that he said similar things like, uh, if you've been born again, if you follow Jesus, if you're a new creation, walk like it. If that's, if that's who you are, then, then walk in it. If you're a new creation, don't walk as the old man. Walk as the new man, if that's who you are. And as we set our lives on this journey called following Jesus, you know, there's a transaction that begins to take place. It's a lifelong process. And it, and it looks like this. When we're, we're born in sin and we're born uh, just with the desire to see our own kingdom uh, exalted. We want to see us exalted. We want, you know, we're uh, selfish people that desire to see our own name proclaimed in some way or another. And as we follow Jesus, there's a transaction that takes place where we once wanted to see us exalted, over time, as we begin to follow Jesus and surround ourselves with believers, all of a sudden, it becomes less about us and more about Him. It becomes more about seeing Him exalted and less about us exalted. And Paul's reminding us that Jesus is now our goal. He's now our life. And in our living, we live for Him. And in our dying, though we may lose everything, we still gain. And I, you know, I haven't been around the block too long. I'm 26. But uh, you know, I've seen a few people in caskets and uh, the reality is no one, no one takes anything with, no one takes, you don't take something with you when you die. You might be dressed up as a clown, put into a box, put six feet under, but you don't take anything with you. And so Paul's saying death is gain, meaning when you lose family, when you lose belongings, when you lose everything, Paul says Jesus, exalt, Jesus is exalted when you say though I lose everything, Jesus is sufficient, and he has gained to me. And so the, the chapter 1, he says, 
um, this summary of chapter 1 is Jesus is our life. And we get to chapter 2, and, and Paul punches us in the gut. And he says, I want you to have this same attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, we read that, and uh, the summary of chapter 2, I would say, would, would be that Jesus is our example. And I don't know, I don't know about you married guys, but I, I sometimes like being around guys that don't treat their wives great because it makes me feel like I'm doing a really good job treating my wife well. And I'm like, man, she's like more lucky, lucky than she thinks, you know? <laughs> I, mean, she, I mean, come on. But then, as I begin to peer into Philippians 2, and I begin to see the motives and the actions and the love of Jesus, all of a sudden I begin to see how, how I mean, horrible I treat my wife so often. Jesus is our example. He is our example. And so he says, have this same attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we get to chapter 3, and, and Paul continues, you know, he says, he is our life, he is our goal. And in chapter 3, you know, probably one, some of, one of the climaxes of all of Paul's uh, letters, in this, in this chapter, he says, you know, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I, I count them to be rubbish, which means crap. I count them to be rubbish that I would gain Jesus. And so he's our, he's our goal. He is the goal of this life. And so we'll go in more detail on that in just a minute. And then in chapter 4, Paul ends this letter. And he, you know, when we think of chapter 4, we think of Philippians 4.13. We think of the, the one-eared wonder of Andrew Holyfield, right? We think of Philippians 4.13 and, and the, you know, the boxer that had that, you know, that scripture on his uh, pants when he boxed. And, you know, in context, it has much more to do with having, if you have much or if you have little, he's enough. If you have much or if you have little, he will be your strength. And so the point of me saying all of this is Paul is going in all sorts of angles, all sorts of different ways. He's trying to reset this little church plant's heart back on Jesus. He's trying to remind him it's all about him. It is all about him. It's always been about him. Look, it's about him. So he's pointing them and centering them in different angles back on who Jesus is. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be difficult for me to not assume that we also, in my own life included, need our hearts just to be resetted back on Jesus. Just to, to reset our heart back on the one who is most important. You know, so many things, even good things, can keep us from fixing our eyes on the main prize of Christianity. You know, so easy, even church things can, can keep us you know, fixated on and everything but the main thing. You know, it's easy when, when life makes us foggy and just life happens. It becomes confusing. Why am I giving to the church? Why am I living this way? Why am I doing this and not living like the world? It becomes fuse, confusing if our eyes are not fixed on the prize. And so if you want to turn to Philippians 3, chapter 12 through 14, I want to spend the rest of my time in these three verses. So chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. It says, Not that I have already obtained it, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us again. Lord, I just pray 
you'd meet us in our short time this morning. God, I pray that you would encourage us with the prize of this life. Father, I pray regardless of where everyone is in this room, I pray that by your Spirit you would meet us and you would encourage us to continue to run the race and continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Jesus' name. You know, there's three kinds of people in this room. The first group would be a group of people that are in the middle of a season of your life where life is beating you up. It's where you are. The second group of people would be a group of people who have just come out of a season where life was beating you up. And the third group of people would be ones that are about to go into a season where life is about to beat you up. It's just the nature of life. It's the nature of the fall. It's the nature of where we are in this world. And so when life is beating us up, it, it can be so difficult sometimes to look past the immediate circumstances and to look on the prize. You know, I, Paul says, I press on. Like, this is the Apostle Paul, the one, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, he's the one who wrote, wrote more than half of the New Testament. And he's telling us that he is pressing on. Like, he's not satisfied with where he is. And as he's in chains, he says, I press on toward the prize. And so if you're at that extreme, or if you're at the other extreme where everything is good, you know, the promotions are coming, family is healthy, kids are growing, and they're not doing anything wrong, and marriage is great, and etc. You know, regardless of what extreme we're in, because in that extreme, it's easy just to kind of fall asleep. You know, I don't really need the Lord. And just kind of lull into sleep. And so regardless of what extreme we're in, and everywhere in between, I want to encourage us to set our eyes on the prize this morning. I have a friend, his name is Caleb Graves. He, um, 13 weeks ago, um, tragedy struck his life. He was, um, a, he's an amazing drummer. He played at the International House of Prayer, probably the best drummer I've ever heard before. And uh, one evening, uh, 13 weeks ago on a Sunday evening on August 21st, he was uh, driving home from a young adult uh, gathering of worship. He was playing drums there and he left. And he was driving home with his fiance Victoria. And on his way home, he saw a car stalled out right in an intersection. So he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this guy out. So he pulled over to the middle lane and uh, left Victoria in the car. Uh, as, and he ran out to this intersection to help push this car over to the side. And uh, as he's doing he's talking to the guy for a second. He's pushing. And he, just, he said he just felt like he was supposed to turn around. And so he turns around. He sees this car coming at him about 50 miles an hour. And so he jumps in the air. And this car just clips his legs and just knocks him out from underneath him. And he falls to the ground. And uh, he's just in excruciating pain. He looks down, and his left leg from the knee down had been ripped off. And his right leg had been shattered. And he is there. His fiance sees it all. She comes running. She sees his leg right there. And she comes up to him, and she just holds him. He said he lost over two pints of blood. And so they, they rushed him to the emergency room to do reconstructive surgery. And uh, the doctor said once he looked at his right leg, it was as if it was a puzzle piece, just shattered. And so they somehow were able to put back together his right leg, and they were not, not, not able to restore his, his left leg. And so he's, he's sitting there in ICU, recovering, and the, the nurses move him from one room to the next, and so they take him from one bed to the other, and they pick him up, and they actually drop his legs. And, uh, I mean, I could go on and on and, and make you guys go gasp and stuff. There's tons of things that happened. Uh, they were filling him with fluids, and he, uh, so much so that they actually gave him pneumonia because of the amount of, they, they, they like spilled over into his lungs. I don't know how all this stuff works. This is just what he told me. And so he got pneumonia and his fever uh, increased to 110. I've never even heard of 110 fevers before. I know that's not good. 
But he, uh, then all of these things happen to him. So six days later, after this event, he's in his room and he's watching this worship thing. I don't know exactly. It was just a worship service. Uh, and, he's, and he's there and he's, um, he just felt like the Lord spoke to his heart and said, just worship me. And there in, in his own weakness, you know, in so much pain, barely able to talk, he just begins to say, Lord, I love you. I worship you. I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't understand why this took place, but I want you to be glorified in it. I want you to be exalted through it. I love you, Lord. He just begins to worship in his own frail condition. And then he felt like the Lord just spoke to his heart. and He said, I want you to forgive these nurses for all they've done to you. And he just begins to say, Lord, I thank you for forgiving me. You've forgiven me much. You've forgiven me so much. He begins to, like I said, in his own weak words, Lord, I forgive those nurses for what they did to me. I don't hold on to bitterness. I, I, I forgive them. And he didn't know this, but the door to his room was opened. And some of the nurses were just right on the other side of the door. Just so happened to be. And uh, some of them heard him, and they walked in, and they were just weeping. Who, who forgives like that? You know, and so that happens, and, and he talked to the doctor, and he said, you know, let me tell you something. You got at least six months before you're able to play drums, at least six months. And so he just began, through this process, he began to, Lord, I don't want to put my anchor in drums. I don't want to put my anchor in stuff. I want you to be my anchor. I want you to be my prize. This is painful. It's not easy. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I want you to be my prize. I want you to be my hope. And so as he was doing this and recovering, it was only a matter of six weeks before he was able to start playing drums. And it was just a, it's just a really powerful story, but I, I believe this. I can touch, as, as I consider him and I consider the encouraging life that he's living, though it's not easy. We hung out with him just two days ago, and he's like, he's in so much pain after 13 weeks. He's like, I continue want to set, I want to continue to set my eyes on the prize. And I believe that I can touch a hundred areas of your life if, if I help you see and savor the beauty of Jesus. I believe I can touch a hundred different areas of your life. And so a great view of the prize of this life gives us great strength to run the race set before us. So I just want to spend the rest of our few minutes together just looking at the prize, who, who Jesus is. He is the everlasting one. Before galaxies and stars, before water and oxygen, before molecules and algae, He was trillions and trillions and trillions of years ago. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, fully God, for trillions and trillions and trillions and an infinite number of years old. He is the uncreated one. He has never had a beginning. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus, preexistent Christ, was not just someone created by God. He has always existed, regardless of what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims say. He is the one true God, and He has never had a beginning. He was born into this world, but He has always existed from everlasting to everlasting. He is the creating one. Colossians 1.16, like I said earlier, by Him all things were created. There's one by whom everything exists, the, the galaxies that have yet to be seen by scientists. Mount Everest at 29,000 feet and the lowest trench of the Pacific at 36,000 feet and everywhere in between were created by preexistent Jesus. 
He is the Holy One. He is unlike anything the world has ever seen before. There is none who compares to Him. He is entirely unique in His beauty, entirely unique in His majesty. Isaiah 40, 25 says, To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like Him, says the Holy One. He is the sustaining one at a macro level and a micro level. Like I said earlier, Colossians 1, 17, it says that He is before all things, and in Him everything holds together. Acts 17.25 says that He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Acts 17.28 says that in Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we have our existence. Hebrews 1.3 says that He upholds all things by the word of His power. Psalm 135.6 tells us this, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in the deep. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, bringing forth the wind from the storehouses. He is the supreme one. He is supreme over kings, and He is supreme over rulers, even wicked ones. He is supreme over Al-Qaeda, and He is supreme over Kim Jong-il of North Korea. He is supreme over Iraq, and He is supreme over Iran. He is supreme over all things, and He is unmoved by them, and He's unmoved by their nuclear weapons. He is supreme over diseases, and He's supreme over viruses, and He's supreme over weather patterns. You know, in Daniel 4, we see that story of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar tried to exalt himself above the Lord. He tried to find supremacy in himself. And the only supreme one humbled him, and he made him like an animal for several years. And out of that, in Daniel 4, 34 and 35, we see Nebuchadnezzar speak of this concerning the Lord. He says, he looks to heaven, he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All, of, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We don't always understand why He allows certain things. Some of you guys are going through that. I don't understand why the Lord has allowed this to happen to me. And the reality is is we might not ever understand it in this life. But sometimes when stuff happens to us, it's like what St. Augustine said. It's like putting your nose up to a stained glass window. You know, you ever seen something beautiful, like a beautiful like tapestry of stained glass stuff, and you walk up to the thing, and all you see is marred, glass and it's just different colors and it doesn't look very nice at all but as you step back 20 30 50 100 feet you see beauty we don't always understand it in the moment but there's a day coming when it will all make sense to us abraham kuyper says there's not a square inch of the universe where of human existence where where christ the sovereign lord does not cry mine he is the supreme one he is the humble one. Psalm 113 says that he humbles himself just to look on the heavens and the earth. And he didn't just look. The uncreated God became creation. Born of a woman. Born under the law. He grew. God grew. And it says in Mark 10 that he did not come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He is the suffering one. He came to die a death. He was not worthy of dying on a cross that was not worthy of Him to hang. He is the suffering one. He is the righteous one. 
He will never overlook sin, nor will He wink at it. He alone can rightfully judge sin, and only from Him is righteous, does righteousness flow by faith. He is the forgiving One. Because He is the suffering One, He will forgive our sins if we put our faith in the righteous One. Not by what you've done, not by showing up to more church services, but by your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the conquering one. Death, the most powerful Roman Empire, the cohorts of demons, could not keep dead the living God. He broke forth with power out of the grave. He is the reigning one. He sits as king and ruler over the nations. He is the soul-satisfying one where the pleasures of this world beat on us to try to fill the appetites of our heart. Jesus says, I have living water that will satisfy that the world knows not of. He is the loving one. We don't need an angel to come to us and tell us that Jesus loves us. We just have to look to the cross where the demonstration of love, the climax of our rebellion and His love were revealed. Where love was revealed as stronger than death. And it's there that we see that nothing can separate us from love. He is the near one. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Whether you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or you're walking with Him by green pastures, He is with you. He is the gracious one. He alone is able to give you what you're not worthy of receiving. Eternal joy with Him forever. He is the faithful one. While we remain faithless, He remains faithful. Regardless of where you are this morning, you can trust Him. He is the joyful one. Psalm 1611 says, In His presence is the fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So think about that. In His presence is the fullness of joy. That means there's no cap to it. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore, which means there's no end to it. He is the jealous one, like the fury of a, of a husband towards the mistress of his spouse. So is the Lord towards anything that competes with our affection. He is the just one. If you have ever been wronged or abused, I tell you there's a day of recompense coming. He tells us to turn the other cheek because He alone will be the one who will bring forth justice to the earth. He is the unstoppable one, which means that he, His mission will not be thwarted. His mission of seeing the nations worship Him by the means of an unstoppable gospel that cannot be stopped. He is the unstoppable God in Cobb County and in the ends of the earth. He is the coming one, meaning this cycle of death, it will cease. And He will call forth, John 5 says, that He will call forth once from the tomb to rise. All men will rise by the voice of Jesus. So Steve Jobs will rise by the voice of Jesus. Osama bin Laden will rise by the voice of Jesus. Adolf Hitler will rise at the voice of Jesus. They will stand before their maker, the king of majesty, and he will judge them accordingly. And he is thereby the preeminent one. He is thereby the preeminent one. Isaiah 2.11 and 17 says that he alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 45.23 says that every knee will bow to him. Colossians 1 tells us, like I said earlier, that he will have preeminence and everything. And Revelation 5 says that he is the only one found worthy of worship. See, a great view of himself 
will give us great courage to run this race. We won't worship what we don't know. And if we have a small view of Jesus, our worship of Him will be small. But if we have a great view of Jesus by faith, our worship of Him will be great. When we don't have the view of the prize before us, we will settle down to routine and ritual. But when the view of this glorious prize is set before us, by faith, worship erupts. And when worship erupts, we live differently. You know, we hear that song, we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I don't know about you guys, but growing up when I heard that song, that sounded horrible. 10,000 years. Sounds really long, especially if I have a view of a puny God. But if we have a view of a great, awesome, all-satisfying, beautiful, majestic God that has no end to Himself, it sounds glorious. It sounds a lot more like heaven. You know, for Alex and myself, this season's been great being back in Marietta. We lived in Gwinnett County for about four years. Being back here, it's been great, but there's also been some different pressings and difficulties that have been going on. Our marriage has been good. You don't have to worry about that. But there's been other things that have just been difficult and pressing for us. I tell you, the the thing that has sustained us in this time is fixing our eyes on the prize. In the midst of pressing, in the midst of when things get hard and life happens, setting our eyes on the prize is the only thing that will keep us and sustain us through it. If He is great, even when life happens, and it will, we can be confident in this unshakable rock. When we see the magnitude of the prize, it keeps us steady in the midst of this race. So I just want to encourage you guys, I want to encourage myself to continue to, like Paul says, I press on. I don't stay where I'm at. I press on toward the goal for the prize. He is the goal. I want to pray for us. Bo, you can come on. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would minister to us this morning. Lord, we confess that we're broken people. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us by faith to set our eyes on the prize. Regardless of what has happened to us, how life has beaten us up or whatever it looks like, God, I pray you would encourage us by your Spirit. I pray for spirit of wisdom and revelation to strengthen us to continue to run the race set before us. Lord, those that are weary, I pray you would encourage them You would encourage them to run the race, to fix their eyes on the prize. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.